Um, but um, so there's actually there's a tool that so we you talked about it being very sort of pragmatic and, and not so yeah. fluffy. Um, there's a tool that I use call I call it the the, the hero mindset mm-hmm. uh, or the hero mind map. And basically what I do is I say, OK, pick a hero, pick somebody that you look up to, that you admire, that you want to be like. Um, and I we really break it down. That's what are their qualities? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And how would they show up in these different scenarios? Yeah. How what would they say if they were faced with this kind of conflict or if they were really exhausted or frustrated, right? How would they show up in all these different scenarios? Um, and then I just do that as kind of a prepping exercise. And I say, okay, now imagine yourself as your hero. Imagine yourself five years into the future when you're the yeah. absolute best version of yourself where you're even better than whoever this person is that you're looking up to. How would that person show up and behave and what would they think and what would they say in all of these different scenarios? Um, and then, okay, how do we start doing that? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. What's something, how do we apply that to the situation here? So I'll bring it back if there's some conflict or some struggle or whatever. Okay. What would, what would future you super you say about this or how would they approach this situation? Yeah. You know? And, uh, I mean, it's just a very intentional way to say you want to become the superstar CEO, uh, or executive, okay, let's actually map that out and then let's just bring that into the present and just start doing it. Yeah. Right? Which is another agile principle, which is like, stop thinking, start doing and okay. learn along the way. <laughs> yeah. So true. Awesome. And I find the same actually for personal branding because one is for leadership and leadership identity mm-hmm. and how you show up at difficult conversations, how you show up when you, know, you need to inspire people, et cetera. But your personal brand is kind of a little bit it's a very similar approach, right? So mm-hmm. as a CEO, you want to build a personal brand. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be necessarily quantity in terms of what you put out there, but people need to look you up and and get a for, good first impression, right? Yeah. What does this person stand for beyond their current company? It's mm-hmm. not only about the role that you're in right now, but really what do you stand for? What is the impact you want to make what's the what is it that drives you maybe that's why you even started the current company right and then mm-hmm. reverse engineering back the the personal brand strategy almost like you would reverse engineer a leadership identity or even a business strategy right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where do you want to publish what do you want to talk about what do you want to stand for what's your hero what's your archetype of your brand mm-hmm. and um yeah I find it super, super helpful. And I actually just did a workshop on that in a, during a CEO retreat and a few people actually really actioned afterwards. And they were like, mm-hmm. I have so much clarity now what to do before. I felt like for four years, I just was stuck. And I was like, what am I going to talk about today on LinkedIn? And then it was so random, had no strategy to it. Couldn't delegate in any way to their team because there was no, nothing mm-hmm. that tied it together of what the end result looked like. So mm-hmm just that approach of what's the end result, how do we reverse engineer it and strategic planning, sitting, sitting back and just thinking and then planning and then doing, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, that's a good approach. Yeah. I, I, I do something kind of similar, but with a little different angle where I think about personal brand also as internally in the company. Yeah. How, what's yeah. your brand to your team? Yeah. What's your brand to your investors? What's your brand to your customers? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for folks that maybe aren't as concerned with being public or, or sort of being a public figure, um, you still have a personal brand, whether you do it intentionally or not. 
you have an identity, you have an archetype, uh, and it's either crafted or it's, you know, it's, it's natural. Um, but so I think about the same thing. I'm, if I need to address my team, if there's some, some great thing that we need to celebrate or some, uh, you know, some defeat that we need to, you know, rally around, um, how do we, how do I want to communicate that? How do I want to, how do, what kind of talent do I want to attract? Right. And what kind of leader would they naturally follow? Um, and, and all those sorts of things, right. When, when a customer gets a, an email or a newsletter or something, and they see my face on it, how do I want them to resonate with me? Um, and then, yeah, okay. Now just make that public. The same kind of things you're saying, the same things you're doing, just take that and now just put that out there in the world. And and there's your personal brand. Um, And it's important to know what you stand for. And there are some people who are just no BS. We want to execute performance. Mm -hmm. This is not a nice culture. We all respect each other, but this is just kind of the company I want to build. And if you Mm. want to build that, then be very transparent with that because that's the kind of people who you're going to get on your bus and they're going to be so excited, no bullshit. We're just going to execute. And then you have others who just want to be a little bit more in a, you know, touchy feely startup culture. And that's totally fine as well. Just be very open and, you know, straightforward with that. And your culture is kind of an extension of that, of Mm -hmm. your personal brand internally, oftentimes. Yeah. You kind of have to balance it out a little bit if you're a little bit too directive leadership versus, you know, Mm -hmm. being a servant leader. Just have the self-awareness and know, okay, I'm leaning more towards either side and yeah. maybe I get an HR or a COO, you know, person who's, who's balancing me a little bit, yeah. but just having that self-awareness, right? Where, where is my personality and where's my strength? Yeah. I, 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 so here in San Diego, we have a lot of um, biotech companies. And so I work with several of them and um, a lot of them are very serious, very no nonsense. And I say, that's great. So then the mission needs to speak for itself, right? The mission is going to be the thing that attracts people because, yeah, okay, we don't have all of the, you know, the fluffy stuff, but, you know, this is serious, what we're doing here. This is serious business, you know, lives are at stake. Um, yep. and, and so we show up every day with that, with that seriousness. And that's actually, like you said, something that people are drawn to, a lot of scientists and, and engineers and whatnot, who would be attracted to, hey, I'm not here to, to play around and have fun or do something sexy, yep. I'm here to make a real difference and a real impact on people's lives. And I'm going to take pride in that when I show up to work every day. Um, so that absolutely is a, a viable personal brand, as long as you're not, you know, just sort of being a jerk. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I work with a client and they have a, a, it's a completely remote, no meeting policy. Everything mm. is discussed over text, Slack, email. Wow. So you have absolutely no meetings, only if you're the CEO, you have your direct reports. And then the team meetings, I think, are once a week or something, but there's no mm-hmm. one-on-one, none of that. So it attracts a very specific kind of person, usually mm-hmm. engineers, very analytical mm-hmm. people, right? Which is great. They love it. They don't have to be sitting in, in front of other people all day long. But then you obviously run the rest. Do you have a very, you know let's say not a very diverse workforce. Everybody's mm. quite similar in their thinking and probably also in their um, approach to solutions and problem solving. And so again, just knowing, okay, where are we leaning and what can balance that out? I think yeah. it's super helpful. 
or to have a couple of very bubbly people in there or who are really good salespeople who are just super, you know, keen to engage people and uh, bring new people on board and have to feel at home right away. So I think, yeah. you know. That's just, what this is all about, right? It's about being intentional about every facet of your business that you're creating and being transparent about it as well so that you're yeah. naturally filtering and naturally attracting the right yeah. people, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'd love to hear a story from you. Can you share, is there a specific client? I mean, if you can name them, great. If not, it's okay. Um, but I'd love to hear someone who came to you really full of chaos in one of these, you know, key areas, right? Organization, people, and, and self. Um, and, you know, where there was a major transformation and, and where they're at today. Lots of examples, dozens and dozens. I would say because we are a little bit on the CEO leadership today, and mm -hmm. focused in, um, and zoomed in on this a little bit. There was a client. I started working with him end of last year. And he was supposed to be promoted into the role as a CEO. But he was mm -hmm. apparently not a very great leader and a little bit more, I would say, on the directive side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the rest of the team didn't really feel so comfortable for him to be promoted into the role. And we worked together for about four weeks. And he completely changed hmm. from one day to the next. Some Something went off wow. and he just realized the role that he was going to be put in and the responsibility that he was going to have and the impact he was going to have on others and the feedback that he's gotten from his 360. And we did the, the whole mindset metric um, assessment as well and how that influences others and how that even influences your own state and, and how you lead yourself and just he just realized something where he went complete into a complete different um, different approach of his leadership. And mm -hmm. when I sat in the strategy day and the, the offset that we did following, following the first, I think it was after the first three or four months, he was a complete coach to the team. I mean, he stepped back, facilitated, asked him for the answers. 180 degree difference. And it's not necessarily the coaching, right? Sometimes you just have to ask the right questions, give them mm -hmm. the right information, which in this case was 360 um, and, and doing the, the self-assessment uh, on, the, on the energy leaderships that I mentioned earlier. And that was enough. And I think he saw the potential of changing the culture of the whole company. It was a, mm -hmm. it's a 350 people company and very much a blame culture, I would say, when we started mm -hmm. and the way he approached uh, the company offside and how they communicated and engaged the team in the in the goal setting and parties setting completely different feeling i mean he was just mm. like this complete game changer and mm. sometimes you have an extreme like this i would say oftentimes people are already very self-aware or they already know okay there is really potential in how we can change the business and the culture um, so usually so I, I'm, I'm curious here. So I, again, I don't want to like, you know, <laughs> coach vicariously, but I'm curious. So what, what I would, if I had seen that kind of turnaround, what I would think is this person was acting the old way. Wasn't really them. They were acting that way because they felt they had to, for some reason, and that they were willing to let go of it and go to a place that was maybe even more natural for them. What, what did you, why do you think? This person was being so directive 
And then why do you think it was so sort of quick or easy for them to let that go and, and change course? I think it was what you said is very accurate, but mm. I don't think it was only in this role. I think it was probably mm. the whole career. Yeah. And also mm. the personality was very directive and very type A. So mm -hmm. I'm very type A as well. And I softened mm. over the years a little bit and I'm like, oh, actually you achieve your goals much faster when you actually engage people rather than when you force them. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think just having those realizations and, and getting, getting the feedback, um, mm. I think it just makes your work life so much better and easier mm -hmm. when you're done, mm -hmm. especially when you're done the CEO and you can influence the rest of the team. Yeah. If the rest of your team is your peers because you're on the C-level, they are on the C-level, it's very hard to make those shifts, but once you're the CEO, it's kind of, well, now, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to set the tone. So it's much yeah. easier to do that. I think there was still a little bit of fine tuning on how do I do that? Or, but what if people just don't do it? How can I, you know, practice the patience? Yeah. But yeah. So, we, the, we, so the necessity made them willing to try new things. And then exactly. was there some initial you know, traction or, or results that made them say, oh, wow, this is actually working. Let me keep going. Yeah. So the whole idea is to almost artificially create um, situations where you create confirmation bias. And mm -hmm. I think you need only three to five um, situations where you basically convince yourself that the opposite of what you were thinking before or what you believe to be true before, mm -hmm. that you see the opposite happening and mm -hmm. after three, four times, you actually believe it. So yeah. before you cannot think your way out of a way of acting, right? You have to act your way out of a of way course. of thinking. So it's this oh. whole, well, just try it a few times and you will see that actually the result is going to be different. And we artificially create those, um, those situations. It doesn't have to be big situations. It can be a conversation with your chairman. It can be a conversation with a colleague who you thought hates you. Can be mm -hmm. a you know a different approach of trying to achieve a certain result with your engineering team where it never worked before and now it mm -hmm. all, all of a sudden works right because we we took a different approach and it's those little things where mm -hmm. you don't go for from oh I I really believe this to I believe the opposite it's more mm -hmm. I believe this actually do I really believe it hmm mm -hmm. is there any other option as well that could also be true. Could this option be true? Okay, this option is true. So <laughs> you kind of start convincing yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Sometimes it's really into like the the person themselves, and sometimes it's just in the business, and you make changes in the business, and people just completely change their way of their way of um, engaging with each other because they feel like, oh, I don't have to hold everybody accountable here. I don't have to follow up with everybody because there's a system in place. There's a routine progress is tracked. Everybody knows what they're doing and there's just an expectation and it just relieves the team from having to hold it all together with their, with their bare hands. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I use some metaphors kind of around this as well, where it's like, imagine if you have a bunch of different, you know, balls that you have to move and, you had to go to each one and push them and then move and then push the next one and then push the next one and push the next one and keep doing that. And then you go round robin, right? To get yeah. to the end, you're having to go and push everything to get to the end versus if it was a pull where either, you know, 
somebody else is doing the pushing or uh, there's wheels on the thing or it's, you know, going downhill where you can guide it, you can point it in the right direction and then it goes under its own steam or its own momentum. Yeah. Obviously that's much, much easier to do. So I focused uh, with my clients that are feeling that they're having to push, which is a lot of what management is. A lot of micromanagement is is pushing um, is, well, let's take that energy and instead focus on, on the outcome, right? Let's focus on the vision. Let's focus on getting really clear expectations of what we're trying to deliver, make sure that we've got the systems and the process and the tools in place so that the kind of the track is set, right? Give them some incentive, some motivation, and then a little nudge is all you need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, it's super important to also really understand how your role grows as the business grows and how your responsibilities change. And some CEOs still hold on to very early stage responsibilities and yes. they just yeah. shouldn't. And then the leaders just feel like, do you think I'm not capable to do this? Or right. Right. do you want to micromanage me? Or is there, you know, is there anything I'm doing wrong? So just for you as the CEO to update your responsibilities every six months, I would say. If you're yeah. in a hyper growth, 100% every six months. If yeah. you have co-founders, if you have a COO, maybe even more often, more more frequently. Mm-hmm. So your 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 role changes and you can also just reverse engineer your your diary a little bit, your calendar mm. that we're in the in the US, right? Yeah. Or that <laughs> yeah. <be> called diary. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, those simple things where you just know, okay, these are my high impact activities and this is when I'm mm-hmm. gonna do them and this is how many hours I'm gonna budget for them. Mm-hmm. And whatever I don't get done these are the people I'm going to, I'm going to delegate it to. And sometimes you just don't have the right people. And oftentimes I, Mm -hmm. one of the first questions I ask is, is there anybody you need to let go? Honestly, Mm -hmm. that, you you know, thinking of for the past seven, eight months and you just Mm -hmm. try to push it away, try to not think about it and just maybe things are going to get better. But Mm -hmm. if you keep, you know, especially in your exec team and your your VP level and your C level, if you keep a couple of people who are just not capable, you're going to be doing four people's jobs. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. impossible. It's impossible to then become a great CEO. So if you yeah. don't have a great team, you, you really can't be a great CEO. Maybe if there's one, but even then, I mean, imagine you have a bad CFO who just completely mm-hmm. miscalculates. I mean, I just had a yeah. situation with a client mm-hmm. where just like, Oh my God, our burn is so much higher than we thought. And the CFO would, just not to flag it. I mean, you just have to do double the work afterwards, right? So so not only do you have to, you know, take the reins back and do whatever the work was that you had delegated, but now because that trust is broken, now there's this layer of management that's going to suck up your time for the as long as that person is still there, right? Until you can maybe, maybe somewhere way down the line, rebuild that trust. And usually Um, I, I do a kind of similar thing. Yeah. I ask about that. Is there anybody that, uh, that you think you, that isn't a good fit for the team? And then I yeah. pause for a second and then I say, say the name. I know it. They're right there. They're in your brain. They're right there. Just say the word. What's the person say? And they say, okay. Bleh, and they just blurt it out. And I say, okay, yeah. now let's dig into this person and yeah. talk about what, you know, maybe what went wrong. Is there anything that we can do? How do we set them yeah. up for success? And basically have a, you're, they're either in or they're out, right? In a very brief period of time. Yeah, um, yeah, and we do kind of a similar thing, the mind map, right? Like, well, what would the right person be doing in this role? 
And can we take and go through that whole process? And then can we take this person and turn them into that person? And if not, then we need to go find that person. Yeah. yeah. And especially as a, as a manager of that person, you maybe deal with them once or twice a week on a one-on-one in a, in a team meeting. Think about mm-hmm. the rest of the C-level who has to deal with that person all day long. Yeah. Your, your moral and the exec team is just going to die because you're like, well, if that person can act this way, no, like either completely toxic leader, no, no accountability whatsoever, never follows through, etc. Why would I do my job? You have one mold apple, right? I don't know what's the <laughs> saying, but one mold apple is punch. It's so true, though. It's so true. Perfect. I would Perfect. say probably two months, and that's it. Like, give them a little warning, depending on you know, put them on a, on a performance plan. Yeah. But then, really, once you have your exact team in place and everybody's great, and you own your diary, you have a good assistant, and mm-hmm. I know it's harder than it seems, but keeping your diary clear of yeah. of meetings on certain days and certain times, and just really focusing on the right things, focusing on high impact, having your focus time, and and get stuff done. You you yeah. reverse engineer great okay. CEO ship, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, so I have a very similar model. I call it calendar control, but um, yeah. we identify these areas that you know you should be focusing on and we move stuff around. We get things out of the way. We delegate, yeah. we, we cancel meetings and whatnot. We make this space. And then I, I check in with, it. I say, okay, you're going to go, you're going to have this time. It might be an hour, two hour block that's dedicated to this thing. And you might show up at that block and be like, what do, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fill this time. And I want to just go off and go do some other urgent thing, right? That's I say, no, you've got to sit there. You got to sit there in that, in that space, that limbo of, I know I need to grow in this area, but I actually don't know what to do, where to start. And yeah. then just journal, right? Just think, maybe read a little bit, right? But just slowly but surely build up that muscle until we can start doing. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing for especially the type A CEOs to do is like, you're going to have a time that is going to feel like dead time because you're not, you haven't built that muscle yet. So we Mm -hmm. actually have to sit there in that discomfort and really, um, you know, again, just collect our thoughts and then, you know, the muscle will start building. I like for them to actually pre-schedule it. So let's say you have fundraising, you have building Mm -hmm. your personal brand, you have whatever it is, right? Founded sales, whatever your focus time is, probably five, six main responsibilities. And you have, probably a to-do list under each one of them or mm-hmm. out objectives, right? I said CEO OKRs, just like I said, company and uh, engineering OKRs and um, sales OKRs. I said CEO OKRs and what are the outcomes? And if you have five OKRs or four OKRs that are, those are your five or four different areas, right? And those yeah. need to go into your focus time. And usually I would say probably one to maybe two days or one, one and a half days a week. We just have, just have uninterrupted time, and you look at your coach uh, at your um, uh, CEO OKRs, and you have already pre-scheduled. You would just put it in mm-hmm. your calendar. These are the things under each area that I'm going to do. So you never get into the focus time without knowing what to do, mm. because that's when you actually then fill it up with other stuff, or your EA books it through, and you're like um, books over it, and you're like, well, I didn't really know what to do anyway, so whatever, <laughs> right? So. Right. So it all else fails, that focus, the purpose of the focus time is to create the list of things that you need to do with all the rest of the focus time, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we're, we're just a couple minutes left before we wrap. Um, you had you had touched on something a, a minute ago that that really resonated with me. Um, that is the transition from being kind of an early stage founder to a scale stage founder. Um, so maybe just sort of wrap up with what would be some advice or some things to keep an eye on for founders that are kind of growing out of the startup stage, getting into scale, um, but they haven't matured yet as a leader. I think the main difference is that now all of a sudden you have really capable high level sea levels around you mm -hmm. and probably people who are more senior than you mm -hmm. or let's say if you're a first time founder maybe even 10 15 years older than you right <laughs> who knows yeah. how do you show up in a way that they want to follow you that's a mm -hmm. big challenge and mm -hmm. Let's say if they are, you know, similar age, that's not really the the big difference. Or you're quite senior, to still know that I want to have the best per person who in this field in the role. I don't have to be the best per best at it, and then I get somebody and I just delegate it to them. But I really have them own this function, and that's why it's so important to have really highly capable people because you cannot own have somebody own a function and really delegate it and really trust them if you don't know if they are great. Mm -hmm. So your team is just, a, uh, I mean, that's your key to, to becoming a great CEO. Hiring an exceptional COO at one point, I would say probably 150, 200 employees around that stage. Some do it a little earlier, some a little later. But if you have a great COO who really compliments you also in your personality, but obviously also just practical, you know, experience and, and skills. You can just at four or five hundred people really step back and you can mm -hmm. really get your time back and just think very differently about your business than if you don't have a good team in place. And mm -hmm. both have their advantages and disadvantages. Sometimes with a more junior exec team you have less politics and you know, they mm -hmm. still look to the CEO and they're like, whatever you need. <laughs> <laughs> it's good in some ways but then in other ways obviously you cannot just leave the business for six weeks and maybe go to the u.s and just launch a new product or help open another office or fundraise or whatever it is or just take a vacation yeah after 10 years of building so yeah i would say that the exact team is the key yeah. and if you can get that right it's gonna save so much headache in the future and the people who have their exec team in place over years and years and years, I mean, they are just like a, like a sports team, right? They just know where, where do I belong on the field and mm -hmm. I perfected my craft here and I'm just, I just play in, in a team. So yeah, yeah I would trust. say that, that would be the one thing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Katie, it has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you today. Um, so insightful, so many amazing tidbits that, that our audience can, can, put into play. Um, but if anybody wants to reach out, they can go to katietrost.com. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me.